Welcome to Ridge to Ridge Outdoors podcast. We talk hunting, fishing, camping, and everything in between. Ridge to Ridge Outdoors is based out of Temecula, California, and we want to share the knowledge gained through the ups and downs of Southern California hunting. Through this podcast, we hope to inspire the youth to get outdoors, help fellow hunters find success, and bring awareness to the issues facing our community today. Help us spread the word and get our community on the map for the level of skill and determination it takes our outdoors men and women to get it done in Southern California. So say I wanted to shoot, you know, I would want to go out with Brandon and I, I was too, you know, I didn't want my pride to get hurt and I don't want to say, Hey Brandon, what do I need to buy to go duck hunting with you on in October? So what do I need as like a new waterfowler? You said, Hey, you need waiters. Sweet. I can do that. Uh, like picking a shotgun. Do I need an auto? Do I need a semi? Do I need a 28 inch? Can I get away with an 18? Yeah. Um, for rule of thumb, um, any any 26 28 inch barreled gun will work modified just a plain modified i i own in my opinion the finest waterfowl gun you can own and that's the benelli super black eagle that in my opinion that's the best i shoot a plain old modified barrel in it and in fact i i can't even get my tubes out of my gun i own three of them and, and i they're they're locked in forever the chokes ain't coming out they ain't coming out and so you know what i shoot virtually everything with that now with california going to all steel all day you know what the modified shoots steal the best of anything and i've patterned them i've tried all the fancy chokes i've done all that the plain modified works great um do you have to have a black eagle to go hunt ducks and geese no i i killed a lot of ducks and geese with my plain old 870 i loved my 870 i love mine yeah and you know what pump guns work just fine in fact they slow you they, down. They're they, better. They, they they slow you down a little bit, which is not always a bad thing. I mean, guys, boom, 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 you know, three shots. That doesn't mean that you're on the bird on any one of the three. And when I used to shoot nothing but pumps, it was boom, slide back, readjust my thought. Okay, I was behind that bird in that little time span, that microsecond of sliding it back and going back forward. My brain would tell me I need to lead further. And so I always thought shooting a pump gun was was probably better. I switched in the early 90s to autos when Black Eagles came out because because of the crap that we had to shoot for steel. The ballistics of steel now is so much better than when steel first came out. So three and a half inch shells, I thought were really necessary. An ounce and three eighths um, was, was, or an ounce and a half of steel uh, actually, it was an ounce and nine sixteenths back in those days, and I mean they wow. rocked your world. And, Smoking that shoulder, oh man! <laughs> yeah. and, and my first three and a half inch gun was a Mossberg Ultimag, which is a pump gun, but they're short. They were really made for turkey hunting, and oh my gosh! And my buddy uh, Keith Earl bought a Super Black Eagle, and I of course I'd never heard of one, and and uh, I shot it. And I oh. This, this is the wave of the future. And I got one soon thereafter, which I still have. And I've, since then, they've come out with the Black Eagle one and a half and a two and now a three. They are, they're, they're just great guns. And it's an investment. Yeah, they're, they're close to two grand by the time it's all said and done with your costs and everything. But it's an investment, a lifetime investment. Yeah, you, it's the last shotgun you'll have to buy. That is for... the last shotgun you'll ever have to buy because not only are they great waterfowl guns, but if you buy them in the 26-inch barrel, they're great upland guns because they're light. Compared to most old days thoughts of waterfowl guns, nine-pounders, you know, yeah. heavy. Black Eagles are only around seven pounds, so they're, they're, you can carry them for hunting all game. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I hunt turkeys with mine, too. I have a 24-inch barrel that I, just, I bought a turkey barrel for it for my old one and i use it for turkeys and and you can literally use it for everything so in that sense that which you which i think is the best but stoger um beretta uh, which i've never cared for the front safety beretta has their safety in the front benelli has their safety in the back they're one in the same company they're like chevy and cadillac right mm-hmm. benelli being the cadillac yeah, um, <laughs> yeah anyway so um it, it's it's um, it's a personal choice. 
I mean, you can go to Turner's or you can go to Bass Pro, you can go to any gun shop um, and you can throw the gun up and see how it feels. If you're looking down on the barrel, that means the gun shoots high. So Browning, to me, has always shot high. For whatever reason, how they build their stocks, and how it shoots high to me. So I've never cared for Browning. Winchester makes an SX... SXP? Eh, that's it the is. pump. SXP is their pump. SX, whatever it is, is their auto. Fit me great. And they come with Duratouch, uh, which is a great finish. That's a that's good a, feeling, feeling yeah, gun. Yeah, that's a really nice feeling gun. And, they, and they're not that. I mean, they're in the eight or $900 range, I think. But Stoker's are in the like $500 range. And basically, it's just a, a, a Benelli built in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there's uh, the Affinities, the, the uh, Franchis, another Benelli family gun. Really nice feeling. All have rear safeties. Uh, so it just, you know... Whatever you like and feel and what your pocketbook can afford is is what you should, you know, but throw I, them up and, and feel them. I'll tell you what. I have two shotguns. I have a Charles Daly. Well, I don't even know how old it is, man, to be honest. Over and under? No. Auto. Oh, okay. It's an auto loader. And um, it's, a, it's a heavy gun, but... I always say, like, that's my refuge gun. I mean, to be honest with you, Steve, I've dropped that thing in the pond four foot deep, man. I had to go down and get it. Take my waders off, dive in and get it. Like, I mean, I've literally dropped that gun to the bottom. And it, it is what it is. It's never failed me. It continues to work. It's a great gun. It's heavy. But it's almost, it's not my favorite gun. My favorite gun is my, uh, my 870 pump 20 gauge. That is my favorite gun. And I'm a big dude. I think I'm 6'2". Roughly, you know, I'm a tall guy. I got long arms and it's not a youth model. It's just a standard 20 gauge fits me. It's probably a little too short for me for sure, but I've killed more, more birds and ducks with that gun than my Charles Daly. And I cut my teeth on that Charles Daly. Yeah. Right. It's just, the gun is a light gun. It's a pump. It slows me down. Yeah. And I'm a really, for new guys, I mean, what's an 870 cost brand new, just under 400 bucks. Something like that. You know, it's a. It's a gun that's not going to fail you. Yeah. And it's a gun you can pass down. One one other note about that you just said is in hunting guns, the stock should always be short. Shorter than maybe a trap trap gun. Trap shooting, you're in a stationary position mm-hmm. when you start. Skeet shooting, it, in the international form, the gun is below your armpit. So you start with a gun below your armpit, and then it comes up, to, more like hunting, where it mm. comes up to your face. Your, your your gun should come up easily into your shoulder, not where you have to push out and then come and back then come in. in. Because when you're hunting, you don't have time to think of push out, nope. pull in. No, the gun should come up straight up and go right into your shoulder, and your gun always comes to your cheek. Your cheek doesn't go down to the gun. That's what a, a, a gun that fits you should feel like. And then when you close your eyes and you throw the gun up to your face and you look down the barrel, you should be looking flat down right. the barrel. So in the case of a black eagle, you have two beads, one in the center, one in the front. Those beads should be exactly in line. Mm-hmm. Trap shooting is, is, again, a whole different animal. The bear It should be like this. So you're shooting high because you got a rising bird and you want to be able to see the bird. So when you're trap shooting, the bird is coming up, your front bead hits the bottom of the target and that's when you pull the trigger. That means you're shooting high. You're shooting above the bird. So in essence, you're leading the bird above. Gotcha. But there, you're, you still have that sight picture of your, yeah. your barrel being under the bird. Yeah. I, I One of the finest shooters I've ever known, a guy named Kenny Van Dorn, shot high combed stock guns and for the life of me i i i don't know how he did it but he knew where his gun shot right so that is the answer you if you know where your gun shoots if i know my gun shoots high well then obviously i have to shoot low or below the bird there are a lot of people who like to shoot that way just that i know in in a rule of thumb in general you should look flat down your barrel the stock should be slightly shorter and uh it, it's it's a sight plane that it, that it's quite easy to think about because it's flat 
Mm-hmm. You don't have to put any other equation. I got to shoot under. I got to shoot in front and under. It's just you just shoot in front. And so one one of the biggest things that I want to tell all the new hunters, like all the all the guys that aren't in depth in waterfowl yet, is it, you don't need the best gun. That's why I say that eight seventy pump. It'll work for you. Just go out and hunt with a gun. Get a gun that you can afford. Don't break the bank in it because who knows? You may not even like it. Yeah. Go out. And like you said with that short shot, that short stock, that makes sense, man, because if you're shooting at teal, you got one or two seconds. Well, plus waterfowling, for the most part, not necessarily a Worcester, but you have extra clothes on. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. Yeah. once – I'm going to use Henshaw because it's colder than oh, yeah. crap at Henshaw. Yeah, so weekend. you're going to have thick coats on, all this other stuff. And now you've got another inch of padding in your shoulder – that's where a your short, stock will catch. Yeah, you, you'll catch your stock. You hunt in layout blinds, uh, or you can lay under a tarp. <laughs> yeah, uh, nowadays they, we have layout blinds, but in the old days we hunted under tarps. That's and so you had a headrest just to, so your head was up. But it, it, it again, it, it's a whole different kind of philosophy on shooting there too. There are, are there's pointing, there's a, a sustained lead shooting, and there's one other. There's three forms. When you're hunting out of a layout, you're pointing in front of the bird and pulling the trigger. You, you've you got a confined area that you can swing in. So you can't have this big, long swing plane mm-hmm. like you would standing up. I can mm-hmm. just keep moving. I can just keep moving around. Where I'm in a little short blind, I can only go to about there. Right. So it's you. there's the bird coming. I shoot here. He runs into the shot and the string. It's a whole different kind. I know guys that are great shots, and you put them in a layout. They lose their mind. They just have a really hard time. I'll tell you what, you know, for for guys that haven't shot at birds yet, like uh, ducks, you know, say they've been, I, I, in September, lead right into duck hunting. It's a good avenue if you're going to hunt Worcester to go out to the Salton Sea during dove season yep. and continue to hunt it. Because on your way home, depending on where you're hunting, if you, you know, you live in North County, go out the 10. Because yeah. then you can drive through Worcester and you can yeah. get a get, take so one eleven exactly, and you're not you're not going to go into Worcester blind. At least you have some sort of mental picture of where the parking lots are, where the station is. Yeah. You know, and that's a, that's a real good point that you can drive. Uh, I don't know what Rick has it now. Um, it's either two weeks or used to be like seven day or eight days. You can drive the area. Um, uh, you stay on certain roads. He'll right. have roads that are blocked, but um, you can drive the area and get a feel for where you're at. Nowadays, with phones, you can GPS all these different spots where you park. Mm-hmm. And so, in the dark, because literally at three o'clock in the morning, it is dark. You're driving roads now. We put signs up in the old days, and and, and most of the signs are still. In fact, they're all still there. That kind of lead you in there. But another friend of ours got a ticket, I don't know, three or four years ago because he pulled up on a dike and was dropping off his decoys. And the warden rolled up on him and go, what are you doing? He goes, oh, we're dropping off our decoys. This is this is our site right here. And he goes, this is a closed. You can't drive up on these roads. 800 I think it was 800 and some dollars. Jeez, man. And so, man. yeah, I mean, that that wasn't cool but you know whatever the case this is the kind of thing that you you need to be aware of uh there are parking lots there's designated parking lots that's where you park now there are some blind sites that you can drop your decoys at the end of the 115s you can drop your decoys off at the end of the dike and then you drive down to your parking lot you walk back to your your dike there's a sign there it'll say 115 b5 and you walk down your sign, down your dike, and there'll be a post. In the old days, there used to be a sign. This is your, this is your, your spot. Now there's just a post, just a metal post in the ground. So you got to look for it, and you got to be like a hunt. You have to be within a hundred feet of that thing, right? Hundred yards, a hundred yards. Yeah, and it depends. Some are fifty, some are hundred. Read the regulations at Worcester. This is Patrick shaking his head. That's crazy. This is. Where Patrick yeah. could not go out there right. by himself, he, he he wouldn't know any of this. The back of the the you got a Worcester map on the mm-hmm. back. It says all these different rules. If you hunt hazard or any federal refuge, it's a hundred feet. At Worcester, it's a hundred yards. And again, 
there's there's some I think that are mentioned that are 50 yards, and I I don't remember exactly which ones, but it's normally the ones with five blinds in it. So the T's, the U's, I think are 50. But so that's to keep people from moving in on uh, in on another person because the spots are fairly close together. Yeah. T12 T12 has five spots in it, one in each corner and one in the middle. So the guys on the sides they push in a hundred yards. Now they're almost in front of the guy in five. Well, any birds that are coming down or working the field, especially in the old days of pintail, which circle a field and circle a field and circle a field, guys were pushing to the center because they always work into the center. You know, we're shooting in them on the swing. And that's where you get the guys yelling and screaming oh, yeah. and, and, you know, let them come down and, yeah. you know, let them work. And, it's yeah. funny. I You know, it's kind of comical. You get out there and you just kind of just sit there and you listen to to the yelling match that goes on and you're like oh well and then in between the yelling match of two dudes yelling at each other from two different blinds you'll hear some dog just yelp because it's not paying attention they just light them up with the e-collar like it 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 happens every time i'm out there it is comical i mean it can be really comical and again that's why guys try to pick the fringy spots a lot of times Mm -hmm. i'm one of them i mean if i had a great reservation and somebody said hey let's take t12 five Man, I, I am hard-pressed to take spots. I would rather have one of the side spots, you know, yeah. kind of in the corners mm-hmm. and things like that. It, it, again, I mean, hey, we scout the day before. I mean, people go, oh, you know, there's no secrets. Yeah, there are. There are secrets. And, and not only that, but the best waterfowlers at Worcester, not just do they take T12-5, let's say, but they know that 50 yards down from T12-5 on the same dike, that is where the birds are actually working tighter to the field. So just taking the field and like Patrick, I, I said there's a post there. Mm-hmm. You probably just set up somewhere near the right, post. Right at yep. the or, post. Or if there's a blind right there, yeah, I'll just use this blind that's right here. Right, already yeah. made up for me and everything. Yep. Yeah, whereas a good water, a guy that knows his stuff, he knows that maybe he even has to go out in the water. And there's maybe an island. Uh, one of the things CWA mm-hmm. did was... We asked them to put islands because these these ponds now are, like I said, 120 yards apart. We needed loafing islands. Now, most of the loafing islands now are overgrown too, but those loafing islands, as long as they're within 100 yards, are huntable. You can walk out there and hunt from there. Now, that puts you into the center of the pond better. Right. So these are all little, little things that you wonder why certain guys are always getting limits. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then somebody else takes the same spot the very next shoot day and they get diddly it's because the guy before them really knew right. his stuff it's 10 10 yeah. percent of the hunters are getting 90 percent of the game it's yeah. funny you're saying all that stuff yeah. because you're really me you know you're really taking the learning curve away from the guys that are listening if the guys that are listening are paying attention that's how you get it done at these refuges yeah that's how you do it saying you there's no different no absolutely. other than well i shouldn't say that it, it, it is kind of different it um Tom has got it where the, the it's more like hunting a duck club. It, well, it is a duck club. It's yeah. a public duck club. It's, yeah, that's it's a the, public duck club. There's a huge difference between Worcester and San Jay. Yeah. Period. You can't move around much at San Jacinto. You get a blind. You you, you take a V blind or, or U blind. There's a blind out in the in the pond, and that's where you are That's where from. you go. That's where you go. And... So your your leniency to hunt a little bit more is is really taken down. But that's the way duck clubs are. Right. Duck mm-hmm. clubs and when you hunt a duck club, you hunt blind four. But blind this is, five. The thing about it is when you go to San Jay, there's a huge difference between San Jay's blinds and the blinds made at Worcester. San Jay's blinds, they're hog wire blinds, man. Yeah, they're blinds. They are real San blinds. Sino does not have that. Right. I mean a uh, Worcester, Worcester does doesn't not have, have it. Yeah, you build your own for the most part. There's two there are two blinds that we built, um, 115C1 and W11D1 have blinds. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, S21 and S23 have blinds as well. They have islands that used to have blinds. Um, they're, they're overgrown inside there now. But yeah, it, it's, it's two different animals. And uh, again, I suggest people, if you're just getting into it, get on SCH and ask questions Absolutely. in the waterfowl section. Get on... Facebook, SoCal Waterfowler, and ask questions, uh, or any of the other uh, hunting sites. Um, 
and ask questions. And then go, you can go out to, after we're done with this podcast, we can drive out to San Jacinto right now and look at the blind. We can it's drive wide around. Open. It's, it's a bir- wide open every day. Birders are yeah, out there the right birders. now. Yeah. And so you can drive out there. And again, you get a feel, you know. Yeah, Dog's getting uh, excited. We we got we got pups. We, we heard Sorry. ducks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Talking about waterfowl. You, yeah. You 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 get a feel for the area, and now you get okay. Well, I'm going to have to walk from this dike across this pond to a blind, mm-hmm. and it's out there somewhere. Now, one of the things that uh, Tom was doing, and I and I I'm going to suggest I bought a bunch of them uh, a number of years ago and put them out um, are reflectors. So. When you, you got a headlamp on, you were asking gear, waders, camouflage clothing. God, there's millions of kinds of camo. You don't need Sitka gear. I mean, it's nice stuff. Good stuff. You know, it's good stuff. King's but, camo is better, though. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't need to pay 400 bucks for a, a jacket. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's just so many things uh, you can buy in, in any camo. Don't wear blaze orange, obviously. Um, camo hat, face paint, or masks. Are really good the one thing when i'm looking at across a field or a blind and i see a guy first thing i see is his face uh-huh. or a shiny gun that's flashing around camo guns are not necessary but salt and sea or any water fouling they don't rust yeah you need Man, that protection on yeah that. you just touch salt cedar with a regular blued gun or even the flat finished guns by the time you get home, oh yeah, it will have mm-hmm. rust being created. So these those aren't necessary things. You can rattle can your gun. You can spray paint your yep. gun and do some cool things. That, you know, with with a rattle can now. Um, duck calls. You know, if you're gonna call ducks and and everybody, it's it's part of the experience intrigue and in and, and, and kind of the fun part but you can buy dr85s uh haydale dr dr85 they're they're like 20 bucks or less and they give you a cd on how to blow it though it's a really ducky sounding call it's a really it, it, it's just a nice little call pintail whistles are like five or six bucks learn to use a whistle nobody's going to scream at you using a whistle there will be people screaming at you if you're sitting on your duck all just and you just do this time after time. And guys do it every shit. Every time. Wow. It's called a hail call. It's because they see a duck like a mile away mm-hmm. and they are screaming. I know it works in certain places. It may work for guys at Worcester. I'm not going to tell anybody, but it is so annoying. when. Yeah. You, one thing it is good for if you're falling asleep, it <laughs> gives you a heads up that there must be ducks in the yep. field or something because they are screaming on their duck calls. Mm-hmm. And most of the times, just low quacks, feeding chuckles, things like that are what ducks really do. Yep. When they're on the water, they just do that. They don't give these long hail calls. Yeah. I, you're saying, oh, that call that you just mentioned is like a real... Oh, DRA. Yeah, it's like a real uh, ducky sound. Yeah. You know... You can blow a duck call like, you know, you can blow it. Most people can pick that up, but what they don't pick up is the sequence. That that hail call, for yeah, example, it's, it's called cadence. Right, the, the the cadence is the key. You have to have that down, otherwise they know you're not a bird. Yeah, they know you're not a duck, and they're going the other way. And that hail call too that you said, you know, I've spun birds with that numerous times. It it works in many places. But see, the thing is that I've experienced with that though, Steve, is if you turn a bird. You better let that bird work, because yeah. if you start ripping when he turns towards yeah. you or starts his bank, if you're ripping, he pinpoints you. It don't it don't matter. He's four hundred yeah. yards out. He pins you. And yeah. he, he'll just keep turning. Yeah, it's called wings and butts. We, you call when when their wings are down or their butts are going the other yep. way. It's called a comeback. You you give them this quick little quack sound. It's called a comeback call, and and they spin back around. Once they spin back around. Don't call now. I mean, he's honing in on where that duck call is coming from. So, uh, there again, there's a whole philosophy. And this is all when you buy a tape or go on YouTube. I mean, mm-hmm. there's like, a, like I said, a million places to learn this. Don't practice it on shoot opening day. Nope. Shoot yeah. Day. You know, <laughs> practice on the day. way to work. <laughs> yeah, practice in your car. Drive out to San Jacinto 
and listen to the ducks because they're, they're going to be very vocal when there's nobody around. That's the other thing. Very few ducks call once the shooting starts. It, they call because they're in an active, very free, they're at ease. So they call a lot. When they see a duck, hen mallards are the one that you hear the quack, quack, quack. That's hen mallards for the most part. For the most part, we don't hunt mallards here much. When you're in a good mallard hole, and, and there are some at San Jacinto and there are some at Worcester, yeah, mallard calling works. I'm in Canada, or more so in Montana. Yeah, man, I call. You're damn right. I mean, if you, if, I mean I'm calling mallards. Or widgeon? We call widgeon a lot at, we get two or three guys on whistles at Hinshaw. Man, it sounds like widgeon because widgeon are very vocal when they're feeding and walking up to, you know, they're a dry land feeder. And so they they call a lot. So we call a lot. Again, you're on big open water. Right. Calling and you've you got this big giant lake and you're in this little tiny spot. What what's gonna make ducks want to come to where your little right. spot is? Yeah. A huge spread of decoys, spinners, or another one. Although last year the spinners, you know, they were, they were just kind of so so. So, you know, you've got to be on the X. If you're on the X, that's what it's so funny. Come I on. we got, got we it. got a couple of my buddies that we I duck hunt with. We got a spot and we call it the X because every year it doesn't fail us. Yeah. And these birds just drop straight down in on us, and it's great. But that like I see the most. Um, response with the duck call out of our out of our duck club that we call duck club. It's just a spot. Yeah, that's where I see it because, like you said, you know, we're not hunting some big, vast, open space of water. We're hunting a little tiny piece of water, right? So if you got birds coming in, they're they're trying to go in there anyways, right? And it, it's funny because they'll come in. We have a rule that you don't like. You only shoot them on the drop. Boom, yeah. boom, shoot at them on the drop. So. You, you hit the birds, and then the ones that scatter, you let them fly. You never follow up shot on those birds because what those birds do, they're migratory birds. And <laughs> at least we believe so because they're not educated birds. Yeah. And so they'll they'll blast off. They'll get out of the area. And as they're flying away, we'll rip a, we'll rip a double read at them. Just, just, and they, they'll literally circle back and they'll drop in again. Mm. You know, it's hard. we got to keep our dog, like got to keep my yeah. dog out of the water because we know they're coming back. Yeah. So it's just how we've learned to hunt this specific area. And and that's just all with, with getting out and hunting and, and scouting and finding places you can hunt. You don't have to just hunt refuges. Yeah. You don't. If you have, you know, there's ponds in the back country that you can hunt. There is. Yeah. And you just got to get in on them. It's a time thing again. That's why San Jacinto is popular. Mm-hmm. It's 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 easy, and everybody likes easy. So do I. Oh yeah, to a certain degree. But it again, it's everybody should go to San Jacinto and at least check out the area right now. Now is it's August. It's hot and all of these things. If you're not doing anything on a Saturday or Sunday and you work Monday through Friday. Go out there and check out the area. Just go drive it. Yeah. All you have to do, you can drive it. You can walk. It's legal to walk around and you get a, a map. Okay, so this is Walker 5. This is Walker 7. You know, a lot of times the ponds are dry. Mm-hmm. So you can literally like walk out to the pond. You or walk out walk to the blind. To the blind site. Oh, okay. So this is what a blind looks like. And, and, and you get this imaginary thought in your head. Okay, this is where I'd want to put decoys. Okay, if the wind comes, the prevailing wind is from the west, okay, you want your your decoys on the east. I mean, you want them, actually, you want them on the west. Ducks are just like airplanes. They come in against the wind. So whatever side you want to shoot, that is the side you want them to cut in front of your blind, you put them on the right if they're going to come in from the left. And it's it's easy thoughts because we us guys think about that we don't even think about it anymore a certain wind um but that'll make or break your birds that absolutely you you go why are all these guys shooting birds around me well your decoys are in the wrong direction yeah you know and that's that's truly i i believe that placement of decoys is is one of the biggest factors on why guys uh get birds or don't yeah keep them spread out too that's the other thing i mean if you're going to put out a huge spread even huge spreads, if, if you go too big, then they may land on the outside edge. Mm, That's that too far sense. away, then you can't shoot. So sometimes we bunch them. One of the reasons we use so many full bodies is that I can put as many full bodies on the on the shore or in the 
back behind our blind, this is Henshaw, that I want. That makes no bearing on it. But out in the water, where they're probably going to land for the most part, Widgeon will land on the land. I want it tight. So they'll land tight to where we're shooting from. It, it, again, these are just, these are things you learn through the years. And, and I mean, it's just common sense for a yeah. lot of it. And, and uh, Worcester, uh, a lot of times less is more. I mean, you get into a little tiny pothole, you were talking about this. I mean, there's no reason to fill the pond with decoys. Right. Not only is it hard to get there, probably, yep. uh, on your back, because you can't use a cart. We That's another tool that we use is decoy carts. Um, and everybody should have one, because it's way easier to carry a bucket. Um, something else that we carry. Carry a chair uh, of sorts. If you're going to be out there all day... Uh, my old friend Cal Meyer started using a director's chair. You can kind of weasel it into the mud. You can put it in the water. You can use it in all these different places. Um, it's comfortable to sit in. Now, sometimes it's too comfortable. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you, you fall asleep. To, yeah. You, you want oh, to be dark a, 30, you're just like dozing off. Yeah. Oh, well, trust me. <laughs> when you get up at 2.30 in the morning and yeah. it's 10 or 11 o'clock in the day and it's high sun and all of that, yeah, you can fall asleep pretty pretty easily especially in december when yeah. it's cold in the yeah, morning and then you cool. start to warm up yeah Ooh, you pass out yeah. quick. so these these are all tools again youtube ask questions um i used a bucket for years mud seats are another one yeah it, it's a pole that sits flat into the mud and it's got a seat up on top uh, kind of like the front seat of a bass boat that a butt okay. seat that's what it looks like a butt seat and you put that out in the water you may be you know, you gain 20, 30 yards by sitting out in the water in the Thule's with your decoys on the other side of you. These are all tools, a jerk strings. Uh, it's a it's a series of decoys hooked onto a long cord and you pull it and it ripples the water. Ducks rarely are stationary. Mm -hmm. Feeding ducks are never stationary. So you jerk the string. Let's just say you got two or three guys and they're all doing this. Now you've got a big pond rippling with water. Yep. And ducks are flying and they look down and they see decoys that are on glass. Mm -hmm. and they're just sitting there. They're like, that doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't. Yeah. This, it doesn't sit this right. is not the real deal. Especially educated ducks that have been going into Worcester every shoot day. Every shoot day they, they get shot at. And now when they see all this rippling water, coots are, are always moving. Yeah. Coot decoys are, are, are pretty good to use a lot of times. It's not the coot decoy so much it's the movement that coots are constantly diving and bringing up food right. diving and bring. Mm -hmm. so i put coots on a jerk string and that's just what kind of a natural look um, gadwalls you don't need a lot of decoys for gadwalls they they hang with coots a lot so you put your coots on jerk strings and you put your your gadwalls fairly close by so that rippling effect ripples into them shakers there's a decoy that's got yeah. batteries in the bottom the big old vibrator yeah and it just shakes on the water and so it puts this ring around it of movement spinning wings um are, are really popular anybody can get one if you're a brand new hunter invest in one you, it, it, it saves you a it's lot. funny you're talking about a jerk uh jerk string you know and um i i say that because I don't even know if anyone else does this, but I'm sure people have done it. I found success with it, and it doesn't work every time, but it works quite a bit. Uh, if you're just pass shooting, like if you got birds that aren't dropping in and, and you just get birds passing you by, well, if you don't get shots off at a bird, and you're going to rip your call, right? As it passes, you're always going to have to have some rocks, and you throw rocks into your decoys. Make that water move, man, and then start ripping your call. You turn the bird, now there's a bunch of water movement. So now they're thinking that birds are those are real birds. And you get in, yeah. not yeah. all the time, but you can get another pass shot. It comes back to the same rippling yeah, or, the same yeah, it, yeah. or something. Exactly. I hunted with a guy named Harold Brown years ago. This was in the 70s. And they used to bring this big thing of, of rocks and throw them into the decoys as Sprague would be going, you know, by. And we didn't use, you know, duck call, uh, mallard calls. We used pintail whistles. And they would throw rocks into the decoys. I mean, it's old school, but... And, and nowadays, there's so many good things out there. Yeah. Cabela's, uh, Bass Pro Shop just sent out their waterfowl edition I just uh, got catalog. It. Yeah, yeah, so did I. Man, I mean, there's so many things you can buy in there. And if, if you're a new hunter and, and you've got a little bit of saved up money, 
hey, there's there's you can buy a handful of things and and you can start duck hunting. You can buy a dozen and a half decoys, more than enough. A good decoy bag, um, you know, a spinner, which you can't use till December first, but shakers, um, duck butts, any of those kind of things. Make sure you get the right kind though. Um, and I don't know if it's Mojo. I don't think it is Mojo, but one of them really shakes the water big time. It costs more than the other one. One's like $39.95, the other one's more. One of them shakes the water great. The other one, not so good, just fair. So there's, again, ask questions. Hey, hey what's the best shakers out there? Or, or, or the pulsators, they're expensive, but pulsators, man, they blow water out the back. And so it just has this yeah. big rippling water effect. It moves a bunch of water. Yeah, moves a bunch of water. So these guys nowadays are way less decoys way more movement yeah right if you're going to go one way or the other higher quality yeah, yeah just just go with way more movement and less decoys it's, 18 decoys is more than enough for oh for yeah most of your conditions man steve i'll tell you what i normally throw out six i mean i'm still i swear yeah. to god less is more to me yeah. and and i've i've had i mean i think i got 36 decoys in my garage i mean i always take them all out but i don't yeah. take them all to the field yeah and you know when i hunt locally around here i you know, more and more often now, I don't even take decoys because the birds are coming to where I'm going. Yeah. And um, I like to, to be honest with you, I like getting up into like two foot of water up yeah. where the trees are and I just kick the water. Yeah. I just make noise and kick the water. Yeah. That's the Arkansas style. I mean, it, it, the guys that hunt flooded timber, that's basically what That's exactly hunting. what they do. Yeah. So they just shake water that way. I mean, yeah. you can throw out a handful of decoys just because you're duck hunting. Yeah. You know? Just so, to do it, to do so it. So it's yeah. kind of like duck decoys go with duck hunting. Again, there's, I mean, I own hundreds and hundreds of decoys, goose decoys, duck decoys, just every imaginable confidence decoys like herons or I, I've even got seagull decoys. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I, oh, that I, makes it, sense. Yeah. I'm just every imaginable thing thinking I'm going to get an edge on, <laughs> yeah. on some. We used to put the seagull decoys on our boat when we used to hunt the Salton Sea. When you could launch boats and you could just hunt anywhere around the Salton Sea, we put seagulls decoys on our boat and we put and just it was camoed but we put like burlap or something on the side so it looked like a log or it looked like whatever and seemed to work great divers are dumb kind of ducks they come screaming in they fly fast and they just come screaming in but it seemed to work i love shooting those things you know let's kind of change gears a little bit uh let's go to just kind of your personal thoughts like on a dog i have a couple questions about that because i mean you see my dog right here she's not a long-haired dog she's a mixed breed she's got like almost no hair on her belly yeah what is and you hunt in canada so you you've experienced cold weather what is too cold for a dog well i i mean i'm a lab guy and so i in the latest one i have trigger um there is no too cold he loves he, it. He he literally uh, he's got one of the thickest coats I've ever seen, but he is not that real short, shiny, uh, coated dog like a lot of labs are. Right. He's got a thicker coat. Um, literally, when he sheds, I mean it's inc- I mean you can make a rug out of what he sheds. Right. Uh, it, it probably depends on the dogs. You know, Chessies were always the big dog of the East Coast because they hunt that gnarly cold East Coast. Yeah. You know. Uh, weather and water and icy salt water um for the most part our dogs don't experience much of that here yeah uh, Hinshaw can be as cold as any place i mean literally when it's in the 20s and the lake is frozen i mean it's it is cold yeah dogs shake but you know they, they've got neoprene um i got a little vest for yeah they have vests for them and everything i'm not so sure that those are great because the water uh, it's, it almost I, sits I, there yeah, I mean, it gets inside the thing. I, I don't. I used to use one with Trigger. I don't use one anymore. I, I thought he got colder with it than without it. Um, maybe to protect their bellies if, if you're in ice and things, because it does have a padding on, mm-hmm. their, on their belly. Again, I've never had an issue with that. Uh, but again, I, I, every lab I've ever owned has never had a problem with cold weather. I don't hunt. Well, I can't say that because uh, Montana last year was really friggin' cold. I mean, we got down into the single digits, and it was cold. And uh, but when you're hunting in that condition, 
your water's frozen a lot of times. So you can't really hunt there anyway. You're you're constantly trying to break the ice to keep decoys in free water. Right. Which you, you can't keep up with it. So, yeah, it eventually you know, we, what we started doing, just coming back in the afternoons and right. when it was 20 degrees. Yeah, so, a little warmer. I, yeah. I just, for her, and I see like GSPs out there. Dudes run GSPs mm-hmm. for their birds, yeah. you know, and um, yeah. they're super short haired and they seem yeah. to do fine. It's just, I've had a couple experiences with Callie out at, out at Worcester. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's where she learned how to hunt. To be mm-hmm. honest with you, that's. All the times we we're going out there every weekend, you know, spending Friday night out there hunting all day Saturday. And that's literally, so that's where Callie cut her teeth. And, um, I've had some super, um, cold days at Worcester and she would just sit there and shake and shake yeah. and shake. And I, and it was, you know, being a new dog owner, this is the first dog I've ever owned, yeah. you know, it, she would sit there. And then as soon as you dumped a bird, she would be boom it, it's gone and she's this that prey drive comes out right so but it's just i've always thought like you know I, I don't know that they can be too cold the other other issue at worcester would be too hot well yeah it, it, i mean that's, it gets yeah. uh, opening day will be 90 degrees yes. and so 90 degrees on a dog that's has has been sitting all summer long hasn't been worked out much mm-hmm. which let's be honest a lot of guys do not and i'm as guilty as anybody right. when trigger starts hunting in in september in canada and it's mostly dry field, so we're we're in pretty good shape. And he, by the time I start hunting here, he's in good shape. But a lot of guys don't do much with their dogs until opening day of duck season at Worcester. October the nineteenth will be ninety degrees at, normally, mm-hmm. and so your dog is running. And even though he's in water, and that does cool him down to a certain degree. Remember that water is probably eighty degrees yeah, it, or it's ninety not, degrees. Yeah, it's not a cold water. Yeah, so, in, in the exertion factor. On hunting at Worcester for dogs because of the mud, man. Remember, it's just a soft for them. Mm-hmm. So if they can't swim, and then of course there's a lot of exertion in swimming. So I would be more concerned with heat at Worcester, at least for the first month of the season, than I would be any cold. I've never hunted Worcester where it's that cold. I mean, it it, it has frozen. I have right. seen it where there's ice, but man, that is a rarity. Real rare, right? Well, clearly, there's two definitions of cold my cold and your cold where you're hunting in Canada. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to take that away yeah, from you yeah. at all, you know. I well, just locally, like Henshaw, Henshaw is really cold. I mean, right. it can be and it's cold because that doesn't open till December 1st. And so, since it opens late, you can get ice there starting opening day, uh, right? It can, be, it can be really, really cold there. Um, yeah, I, I think probably a neoprene vest would be a good for a, a dog such as yours. Um, most of the labs I've seen don't have any issues with any cold weather. Right. Uh, yeah. This might sound like a dumb question, but uh, how? No, is, no dumb questions. <laughs> like <laughs> as a as a as a upcoming waterfowl hunter, um, I don't have the time or the money to invest into a dog. How is that really going to drastically affect me hunting? I mean, I'm from what it sounds like, I'm going to be retrieving my own my own kills. But in terms of what you guys were saying with at San Jack you know you're uh the the guy running the running the show is gonna say hey do you have a dog or not and tom, it's gonna yeah, yeah, yeah tom's he, gonna say hey yeah he's gonna ask you yeah and so what does that mean does that mean i'll just hunt dry land or i'll hunt like no the that edge? means that you won't hunt e one two three or four <laughs> any i, I don't think any of the deep. bees either bees pretty yeah. deep no bees all right i thought b was up to my chest it can be over by b2 by the island. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. I hunted B2 and it was it was almost going oh, yeah. in my waders. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um there are some places like that. And, and B2 would be one, but B5 would be fine. B3 would be fine. I mean most of those are fine. You're essentially um, going to hunt a shallow pond. Yeah. Okay. That's he's he's going to he's going to have you hunting a shallow pond and one of the suggestions it is so hard to find any game without a dog. Any mm-hmm. kind of game. Ducks especially, because if you don't stone kill them, they swim away. They, they don't just hit the water and just sit there. They swim away. If you're in doubt, shoot it again yeah. on the water. Gotcha. water shoot it again on the water so it's dead right there. That's my first suggestion. The other one is don't shoot multiple ducks. So if you're hunting by yourself and a flight of ducks come in and you kill the first duck you shoot at, your eye stays on that duck until it hits the water and you know that it's stone dead. 
with so much water grass and, and millet and all the different kind of things that are being grown at Worcester and to, or at San Jacinto and Tule's, you've got to pinpoint your bird. Yes. You've got to literally pinpoint where it's at. And then once you get to where they're almost f- always further than you think. Yeah. So when it hits the water, another reason not to sky bust. Because <laughs> when you shoot a bird at 50 yards, he's probably going to fall at 80. Yeah. By the time he glides down or falls down or whatever he does, he's going to be further than you think he is. Keep your eye on that bird. Now, remember, you're going to slodge your way out there in mud to where you think he's at. Now you're going to start spending time circling where you think he's at. And that's hoping that he's not dead. I mean, he's not alive. Right. Mm-hmm. If he's alive... He's diving. Yeah. Your chances of finding him are none and nil. Where a dog, you've got a, a, a good chance. Not, not necessarily a perfect chance. I mean, good dogs will find him oh, even, yeah. even wounded. But it, it's something else, like when, especially with a dog, like if you dump a bird and, and now that these like San, San Jacinto's getting overrun with toolies, right? You almost need a bird or you almost need a dog because you got to be able to send your dog into those toolies. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's kind of hard if you don't train your dog, right? You're, you're still going to miss birds because they're not going to pick it up. They're not, they're not going to get the bird in, in the toolies. You know, your dog has to really use its nose in those toolies. Yeah, there's an old saying that any dog's better than no dog. Yeah. I think that was more for upland hunting because pheasants and chucker and quail get nervous. They just think they're a coyote. I mean, they mm-hmm. just think they're a canine of sorts. And so they get nervous and they'll flush as long as your dog stays fairly close. Waterfowl hunting, having an untrained dog, and, and not even, he doesn't have to be a, you know, blow the whistle left, right. All of that. He just has to be some discipline where he just doesn't go running crazy out there. Knowing what the duck smell is, 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 is the whole key. I think most any dog can learn what that is. It's just that you've got, you've got to do the work. Yeah. It's certainly not your dog's fault. And he, he may or may not. I mean, I know, I know guys, I know a guy one time, many, many years ago, his lab did not like to pick up ducks. <laughs> Great upland dog, yeah, and it liked everything about upland, but it just—I don't know what happened. Maybe as a puppy, because I don't know what he did with it, but it didn't like to pick up ducks, and uh, it just wasn't a big ducker. Yeah, but everybody—if you're going to be a, a real waterfowler, you should have—you should have a dog. I know there's some guys. I'm trying to think. I know a couple of kids or young guys that I don't think they have dogs. I don't know how they find all the birds they shoot. I mean, it's not. I mean. To me now, I'm going, you need a dog, but you don't need a dog. You really don't need a dog. A dog just aids you in finding your birds, getting your birds. Yeah, well, and people like me, the older I get, you know, I never have to leave my blind. Right. I mean, Trigger gets everything. I mean, I I sit there and he goes out and gets everything. So I never have to deal with the mud other than to put decoys out and pick them up. Right. Gotcha. And and it does help you out for sure. That's worth it in the inconvenience alone right there. And, you know, when you're hunting alone, I'll talk to you on this too because I've hunted a lot alone, right? And um, when you have a dog with you, it's just that companionship. You're not alone. You have your dog, you know, and it's a bond that you gain and it grows with your dog when you're out there. And that's why I tell guys, man, if there's no birds flying, I don't care. I'll water smack coots because my dog's got to get wet. Yeah. Your dog wants to hunt. If you have a hunting dog, your dog wants to hunt. It doesn't want to yeah. sit in a blind. Yeah. It doesn't. And if it's hot, if it's noon, there's nothing going on. Man, there's a million coots. I'm telling you. I You, you kind of smirk. You probably don't think I, the way I think. But, dude, I'm telling you, Steve. I, I got, Exactly. <laughs> I, you know, I got, I got to get my dog wet. Yeah. You know, I, well, if you're hunting by yourself and you're out in place, you know, boonie places at, at the areas, we don't encourage people shooting, you know, birds on the water or, or, or shooting a lot like that. It scares the ducks that are maybe working somebody without a doubt, one blind over, you know, or things. I mean, if you're, if you're on the salt, I mean, there's, there's, there's exceptions and there's places for everything. Mm-hmm. And that, and that would be why I was smart. I mean, Places like Listen, that, but it's all about the ethic of it. I mean, you're not going to water. You're not. You're not going to shoot coots at seven in the morning. It's not what you're going. You shouldn't do that. Let me tell you something. A lot of coots hit the deck at seven in the morning. Well, yeah, because they a, can't tell. A coot they don't from know a the duck. difference, right? But so, I'm saying, if you're out there and your blind specifically isn't getting action, right, on a refuge, and it's going to all the new hunters, 
I would suggest you don't shoot coots just to shoot them at 7 o'clock in the morning. If you're there and it's 12.30 and it is dead, high noon, and you want to get your dog wet or you haven't shot a bird and you want to shoot a bird, listen, there's a million of them out there. I don't know. That's just my opinion on it, man. You know? (laughs) It is what it is. Yeah. Well, Worcester, actually, some of the best times... um is is between like 10 and 1. See, I I have nine. experienced that. I have experienced that. That's because they sit on the sea. And then they come in. And yeah, they every duck needs fresh water. That's one of the problems with San Jacinto. There's fresh water everywhere. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's a little different the, the ducks want to come into an area maybe to feed. Ducks are very active nighttime feeders, so widgeon especially don't have to come back to San Jacinto. You get them first thing in the morning, you know, for a little while. By 9 o'clock, it's pretty dead. In the old days, um, they used to come back into the area, of, yeah, you know, 1 or 2 o'clock. In the old, old days, San Jacinto closed at 12 or 1. I can't remember if it was 12 or 1 o'clock, but you only hunted a half day there. Oh, really? Yeah. And then in the 90s, we petitioned to have it open all day. All day. Which is... Yeah, I was one of the big. I spoke on this at at the area with a guy named Tom Pollock, and it it, it got passed. It went through, but I'm not so sure it was is quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. And when it when you could only hunt two half days a week, man, it was quality. It was quality. And then for quite a long time, it was quality even in the afternoons. And we were really happy, man. Now we get to hunt afternoons mm-hmm. out here. I, I used to work, and I'd be at San Jacinto by noon. You know, and you hunt till dark. It hasn't been good for a, quite a long time. And I don't know if that's just because of Mystic being uh, dry or they've put in a lot of new sewer ponds. I know because a lot of new housing. It, it could be all of those factors. Maybe less ducks. Um, spoonies, uh, which were always a, a mainstay of one of our waterfowl, don't seem to be coming to Southern California as much. I think they're being shortstopped in a lot of different places uh, before they get here. Um, Do you think that the flyway just changes over time? It changes. Oh, absolutely. Because snow geese, like at Worcester, I mean, you know, we had thousands of snow geese. We had thousands of honkers. No honkers now. And now we're losing most of all of our snow geese. So they have just moved to a different area. They do not stop at these traditional areas oceanside used to have 5,000 honkers every day then they left there and went to henshaw and that rounds out part three of our four-part series with steve next episode we'll go over the state of waterfowling in southern california remember if you guys like this episode feel free to let us know we'd love to hear it